Welcome to Hear Hoover, the Hoover Middle School podcast. Our podcast crew includes Kyla, Avery, Vivian, Jocelyn, Henry, Braley, Kaylin, Melissa, Ironman. Thank you for joining us with our eighth episode of season two of Hear Hoover's podcast in recognition of Black History Month and officially recognize the annual celebration during the month of February. This podcast is focused on the history and leaders that helped to shape the United States. Black History Month originated from Negro History Week, created by Carter G. Woodson. This idea was thought of in 1926. February was chosen as Black History Month because of honoring Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass's birthdays. Black History Month started in Port Ridge County, Ohio, at Kent State University, who first proposed the idea in 1970. Soon the other local universities caught on before it was recognized by President Ford in 1976. Soon after, it became a national month-long holiday. African-American leaders, and one African-American leader was Oprah Winfrey. She is a famous media leader, philanthropist, producer, and actress. She was awarded an Academy Award-nominated actress for her role in The Color Purple. Winfrey was also the richest African-American of the 20th century and North America's first Black multi-billionaire. She had been ranked the greatest Black philanthropist in American history for building two public schools for grades 8 to 12, and her foundation has exceeded the initial $10 million commitment and is currently at $13 million, and she also spent $40 million of her own money on the school. The information was from the source, Amica.org. Uh, another uh, fam- uh, not-so-famous African-American leader is Megard Evers. He was a devoted husband and a father. During and also World War II veteran, and last but not least, a pioneering civil rights leader. Challenging the saturation of the state-supported public university of Mississippi in 1954, Evers then applied to law school there, also getting awarded the 9th, 1963 and AACP Spingarn Medal 10 years later. He was unfortunately assassinated by Byron Delac Beckwith Jr. in 1963 at his home in Jackson, Mississippi. The civil rights movement was very important. We all know about MLK and Rosa Parks, but there are all, but there are other not so well-known activists. Howard Thurman, a philosopher, theologian, mystic educator, and civil rights leader, was very influential, inspiring Martin Luther King Jr. himself and other leaders of both black and white races. Howard became a dean of Marshall Chapel in Boston, Massachusetts from 1953 to 1965, doing all this while writing 20 books on theology, religion, and philosophy. Another great leader was Eunice Carter, who became the first black woman assistant direct attorney in the state of New York. She was responsible for putting together a massive dishonest business case that eventually implicated Luciano 
an influential mobster in the 1920s and 1930s. Luciana was convicted and had to serve 10 years and then was deported. One New York Times reporter once stated a landmark in legal history. Howard Thurman and Eunice Carter went unknown but important in the aftermath of the civil rights movement. Hi, I'm Alyssa, and today I'm going to be sharing one famous African-American educator. Booker T. Washington was a famous African-American educator. Booker was born in 1856 into slavery and rose to become a leading African-American intellectual of the 19th century. Booker founded Tuskegee Normal Industrial Institute, now known as Tuskegee University, in 1881. Two decades later, Booker established the National Negro Business League. Booker advised people like President Theodore Roosevelt. Sometimes he got into arguments with black leaders like W.E.B. Dubois over segregation. One of Booker's most famous speeches he gave was on September 18, 1895. Booker told a mostly white audience in Atlanta, speaking about how the only, how the only way African Americans can move forward is by self-improvement along the way. They can attempt to dignify and glorify common labor. Booker felt it was better to remain separate from whites than to attempt desegregation. Booker T. Washington also made a bunch of books. Some of his most famous books are The Story of My Life and Work, Up From Slavery, and In My Larger Education. Booker T. Washington became the first African-American to be invited to the White House. In 1901, President Roosevelt invited him to dine with him. Today, Booker T. Washington is remembered as the most influential African-American speaker of his time. Bessie Blunt Griffin invented an electric self-feeding tool to help feed amputees. She was a physical therapist, inventor, and scientist. During World War II, she took the doctoring job of caring for wounded soldiers in combat. Then she found a way to make her job easier. She invented the electric self-feeding tool to help the many soldiers coming in wounded. The, the feeding tool let the consumer eat small bites of food at his or her own pace, letting her have the free hands to take care of other wounded people. Example of an African-American artist is Janet Collins. Janet was a dancer, choreographer, and a teacher. Janet got her first role in 1932 when she was 16 years old, but the role required for her to paint her skin white. Because of that, she declined the, off the offer. Her dance career got a kick in 1948 when she joined a program in at the Los Palmas Theater in Los Angeles. Today, Janet is known for improving racism all over, especially on the stage. Good evening, Miss Walker. Thank you for joining us on Here Hoover Podcast. Good evening. Okay. So let's start off by asking your role here at Hoover. So as he said, my name is Miss Walker. Um, my role here at Hoover is a student support coordinator. 
Um, I formerly was the interventionist, and now I've got promoted to this new position. Okay, so have there been any challenges that have led you here to your job today? That has what? That Any challenges that you've had to overcome to get to your job here today? Within the building or? Like any, like through school or in the building? Were there any challenges that got me where I am today? Yep. Is that what you're asking? Mm-hmm. Um, yes and no. Um, there are challenges every day when you come in, in the building and work with kids, you know, whether it's emotional, um, behavior, academic, you know, all those are, can be challenging. Did you always want to be in the school, like, teaching job? I did. Um, when I was younger, I always wanted to, like, when I would sit in the classroom and stuff, I always could picture myself being a teacher. Um, I remember applying for the Waterloo schools a couple times, and I got denied. And um, last time I ended up applying, I, I got hired, and I started as a regular para at, um, at Lincoln Elementary. So that really motivated you to keep going? Absolutely. Okay. If there's anybody you can meet in the world, dead or alive, who would that one person be? Harriet Tubman. So why Harriet Tubman? Any specific reasons? Um, yeah, there's a lot of history with her. Um, Harriet Tubman, she um, made it possible to free the slaves. And... Um, she did a lot of work underground, you know, a lot of underground work to um, make it possible where I can be here at Hoover today to um, serve my community and our children. Yeah, because especially all the challenges she went through. She yep. had a she was a slave before, and then she had to run away, and then yep. she eventually got out, and she was mm-hmm. fighting for her freedom. Yep, and she made and she freed a, a lot of other slaves as well. So. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I think that's it. Thank you for joining us on Here Hoover Podcast. Good evening, Mr. Ross. Thank you for joining us on Here Hoover Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So this interview is going to be about the Black History Month in February. So let's start off by what's your position here at Hoover? So I am currently a student teacher, but prior to that, I used to be a admin support behavior coach. So, and prior to that, I was um, a one-on-one para, and I've been here at Hoover. Um, this is my eleventh year. So that was like your background. Was was your first choice always going into the teaching field? So. When I graduated from college, and excuse me, when I had graduated from high school in 2004, it was my intentions to go to school to be a, a teacher, but I didn't have all my ducks in a row. So I pursued my um, bachelor degree in social service, which I had graduated from university in Northern Iowa in 2012. So what I'm hearing is teaching really was like your passion that you wanted to pursue? Yes. So prior to um, graduating from UNI, um, I had a blue collar background working in factories and um, whatnot. And then I had met a friend who used to work at Hoover. He was the former interventionist and he had uh, linked me up with uh, Mr. Fisher, one of our prior um, administrators. 
and just told me that would be a great opportunity for me. So that got me to come here at Hoover. So what were some challenges along the way of making it to being a student teacher this present time? Um, Just having a... I'm fortunate enough to have a beautiful family, uh, two boys, and, you know, my significant other. Just finding the time. Um, it, you know, I don't mind saying this to the world. Uh, um, I started my family in my um, early 30s, so I'm used to, like, having, you know, that time to myself. So, you know, with having a family comes, um, you know, balance. So what made it challenging was just, you know, working eight hours, also going to class, also um, having that time for your family, and also, you know, doing time to do homework and study. So did you start here at Hoover, or was there another starting, like, school you're at? No, I've been fortunate enough to be here at Hoover. Um, like I said, the kind of the stars had lined up for me because when I was going to school at UNI, I also used to work at High V. And uh, ironically, my um, assistant manager, uh, I won't say her name, but her daughter, excuse me, her niece went to Hoover. So when I had got my first uh, paraeducator job being a one-on-one, it was my um, supervisor niece. So having that relationship with my supervisor, it really just helped out a lot in doing my job because I had background of her family. So it, it, it was like a perfect uh, alignment. So it really fell into place, you're saying? Yeah. If there's anyone you could ever speak to, dead or alive, who would that one person be? Oh, man, just one, huh? Uh, it'll probably be Martin Luther King. You know, it would be an honor to um, just to sit down and pick his brain about, you know, some of the challenges he had to face. And also, if I could, I would love to, like, speed the, like, you know, if it was like a time machine and all that magical stuff, to sit down, like, to bring him to present day, like in the 21st century, to see, you know, how much, you know, his dream has come to fruition. And just also just to, just to sit down and just to have like a casual conversation and and you know talk about life and you know and where we're at today as you know as a race of people you know being together so I would say Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah because all the challenges he went through it's pretty hard to like go to jail because of fighting for your rights and then still going to fight for what you want and then getting it in the end. Right that you know you know it's heroic when you get to see it like play out but uh, you know it would be nice to sit down and talk to him to ask him like was he ever concerned or did he felt doubt in those moments of of you know being brave you know and pursuing for um you know human rights for everyone yeah i think that was very heroic of him well that's it for today thank you for joining us on here hoover thanks for having me My name is Alyssa. What's your name? My name is Quentin Hart. Um, what is your job? 
I am mayor of the city of Waterloo and a proud daddy as well and husband. So that's my job. What has been the hardest thing about your job? Uh, the hardest thing about uh, my job is sometimes there may not be enough resources to do everything that you want to do. We may need to have 15 to 20 streets fixed, but we can only do five. You know, we may want to have nice parks with swimming pools in every part, but we may only be able to do one. But it is trying to balance the resources uh, and the need. That's that's the toughest part. But I don't like telling people no either. Yeah. Uh, what's been the favorite part of your job? Uh, the favorite part of my job is opportunities like this, where I get to speak yeah. with young, talented uh, students. Like earlier today, I was at East High and I spoke uh, to one of their classes, but being out in the community, talking with people, socializing, going to basketball games and can't be loud now because mm -hmm. I'm the mayor, but mm -hmm. just being around people and socializing. What is one of your goals to achieve for our city? Um, one of the goals, um, so Waterloo's 2030 vision plan title is Waterloo is a community of opportunity. Yeah. Um, so the larger goal is to make sure that no matter where you're from, no matter if you're young, no matter if you're old, there's opportunity here for you. And that's that's the larger, larger mission. Uh, but some projects within that, uh, the revitalization of Gates and Burns Park, that's going to be uh, pretty big. That's about a 17, 18 million dollar project. Um, the completion of the fixing up of the convention center where yeah. thousands of visitors come every year. Yeah. Um, broadband and fiber. Uh, the city of Waterloo is building a um, fiber network where you can have internet access for everyone. And if you remember, uh, you all were students during COVID. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine trying to do online classes at the time and there's no stable internet yeah. or the internet costs so much yeah. That you can, or if you're a gamer, right? I know there's no gamers in here, right? But if you're a gamer and you want to play games, to not have consistent, stable internet. Yeah. And so I want to make sure over the next two years, there's internet for everyone that's affordable. That's amazing. As you grew up, who was a leader for you? Uh, my parents were leaders for me. Um, and the reason being my, my mom, uh, my dad moved here from Mississippi. <laughs> Uh, my dad is no longer with us. He passed away, but uh, he worked at John Deere, went to work every day. Um, I don't know if he was ever sick and missed a day. And then my mom, we used to live near Allen Hospital, and I counted the times my mom worked back and forth to work at Allen at that cross that highway. And it was like 19,000 times. Wow. And so their dedication and what they taught me is they were my early, early people I looked up to. How did you get to become a leader? Um, I don't, I don't know if I consider myself a leader. I consider myself, um, as a person that is willing to step up to serve. Um, when you, when you think about my job, there's 68,000 people in Waterloo. Um, and at any time someone can call me and ask me or tell me they want something done. So do they work for me or do I work for them? I worked for them. And so I consider myself a servant leader that's willing to get out and, and do and help. Um, if you could talk to any person in history, who would that be? 
Uh, probably my daddy. Mm-hmm. My dad just, like I said, just passed away a couple of years ago. But if we went, if we went, uh, if we didn't think anybody that I knew, I'd probably say like Jesus Christ, you know, mm-hmm. to maybe have a conversation with him and Dr. King, maybe get them in the same room and then see what they're talking about. I, those would be. Mm-hmm. And finally, what's one piece of advice you give to the upcoming generation of kids? Whew, that's a good question. Um One piece of advice? Yeah. I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you a couple. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> well, um, one is to uh, understand uh, how important you are. You know, a lot of times, you know, just because you may not be at the boardroom or you may not be at the table or you may not be earning big salaries, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, our young people don't understand how important they are. And when you take a look at throughout history, any movements, whether it's civil rights movement, the women's movement, whatever it was, there were young people that were standing in the gap. When it came to getting Obama elected, there were young people that were standing in the gap making a difference. And that is understanding that your value, because when you understand something is valuable, right, like you wouldn't just go put a hundred dollars right on Kimball Avenue, right? You wouldn't do that, right? Right. Because it has value. And that's the same way it is with all of you. All of you have value. And so what you do, how you say it, what you learn, you may not think it'll make a difference now, but in the future, it will make a difference. So understanding your value. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Thank you. Leadership does not mean putting an ear to the ground and following public opinion, but to have the vision of what is necessary and the courage to make it possible. This quote is said by Shirley Chisholm. Thank you for listening to Heath Hoover.